Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Institutional quality is typically going to be getting over that 200 unit range, class A assets, something that doesn't need a ton of CapEx. It's got Really good historical financials. It's in an A-plus location or A location or a location that is up and coming. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest-running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Bryant Dawson. Bryant is joining us from Sedalia, Missouri. He is the CEO of Ingram Capital, a fully vertically integrated rental real estate company. Bryant's portfolio consists of single families and multifamily homes. Bryant, thank you so much for joining us. And how are you today? Awesome. Doing great. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Brian, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, I was an oil and gas project manager for a long time, about 10 years, traveled all over the world doing that, 40 states in the United States, nine countries. Just got tired of traveling all the time and started into real estate, probably like everybody else, with a couple fix and flips and some remodel projects and just scaled from there. So my focus today is larger multifamily acquisitions. We're, we're currently looking at about $24 million in projects that we've got LOIs in right now that we're in the final phases on. Well, let's dive into that evolution. How long ago was it that you started with the fix and flips? So I started in 2014, started purchasing. And the typical house down the street that you fixed up and rented out? Yeah, I was still working oil and gas. My strategy was find the ugliest house on the best block and try to add some value to that. I've had a heavy construction background my whole life, so I could do a lot of that myself. And that's kind of how we started. And then did you go on to a duplex or a four unit? No, I didn't do the traditional method that I guess everybody else did. Uh-oh, what'd you do? <laughs> I made a grave mistake. I got really, really ingrained in that fix and flip space. So we've done just over 1,800 of those at this point since 2014. And predominantly stayed in the single family space, small multis, did duplexes, fourplexes as well, but stayed in that small space for far, far too long until I realized that it was super, super operationally heavy, which 
took me a lot longer to learn than some people. I'm in the same boat as you, but you had to have had a massive team with great systems to have done 1,800 of these. Obviously, my background is oil and gas project management. So I used kind of the same implementation strategies from that industry into fix and flip properties and had a really, really great team for a super long time and didn't really realize what problems we were building or what problems we were going to run into until COVID-19 came along. And that kind of changed a lot of the landscape for us. What was it about COVID that gave you the epiphany to go into larger multifamilies? We had had the idea for quite a number of years before that, but honestly, whenever you're turning that many properties, you're just focused on acquisition, walking the properties, and honestly, like the acquisition piece, you're turning so many properties, you're half enough, you're just spending all your time sourcing deals, finding deals, broker relationships, wholesalers, retail, however you can find the property, right? And then walking through those and analyzing them at the same time. So we just didn't have time to go into the multifamily space or didn't think we had time. And COVID-19 kind of shut some things down. The pricing of lumber and stuff got higher. The price of just sourcing materials in general got harder. And then we had some bobbles with tenant stuff. We just didn't know where that was going to go. And we actually didn't do bad during COVID-19. Like everybody thought the market would go crazy at that time. That slowed us down long enough to say, wait a second, the prices of our SFR portfolio is super high right now. We can turn a bunch of these that we bought seven, eight, 10 years ago, reposition from single family and the super, super heavily operation. Our operations were just super, super heavy. And if we can trade a hundred single families for one multifamily with a hundred units in it, we've got one yard to think about, one block of address to think about, so it's more of an operation play for us. Why were your operations too heavy? Is that because you were still working oil and gas at the time? Were you still traveling? I had backed off of traveling a lot at that point in time. But whenever you have hundreds of single family properties that are spread out, every one of them has a different address. Maybe you got two or three on the same street, but you've got tons of streets and tons of addresses. And it's inevitable that things go wrong in rental real estate. So we had about 30 maintenance guys going all day, every day. And that was our operationally heavy portion. Wow. Well, good for you. You're the opposite of a slumlord. You overfix things. You're very responsive, it seems. Good for you. What was it that gave you the epiphany to realize you're spinning your wheels, you're inundated with your operations, and you don't even have time to strategize? What was it that finally made that decision? Honestly, we opened a property management company by default. We couldn't find one that managed exactly like what we wanted it done. So we opened a management company and then we started taking on other people's real estate as well as the management clientele. And I said, okay, well, the idea of this is that we're going to load up on as many doors as we can pile on. So we had a six month growth period where we picked up about 580 doors of other people's real estate. And that was the breaking point. You put on another 580 doors of other people's problems that you don't really know. And through that time though, what really came good out of that was that we took on some small to mid-sized multifamily complexes, anywhere from 12 units to 40 unit complexing. And whenever we've seen how 
operationally easy those were. It's just like, this is definitely the way that we need to do this. If you were to go back and give your 2020 self, Brian, advice, what would you have said? Oh, man. We had this conversation with my team the other day, and it's always pretty much the same thing for me. And it's take enough time to work on the business, on the strategy, on the plan, and buy more. I like it. And your advice to somebody else that's scaling their fix and flip business, and they're approaching 1,800 deals like you already did. Oh, man, that's a tough one, really, because I think a fix and flip business, if you've done four or five, you can probably do four or 500 the same way if you're profitable on those. And after four or five, some things start to click. And then especially 10 and further than that, I guess it kind of depends on how far along people are. But documenting those systems is vitally important. I've built a model over the last 14 years, and it's pretty dialed in. We can usually hit within 5% of construction on a project as long as the market's material prices aren't changing daily like they were in 2020, 2021. So documenting those systems and really, really honing in on what those inefficiencies are is super important to scaling that fix and flip side. And make sure you, as the leader of the company, keep your head above water to strategize and focus on your business. Yeah, great advice. Thank you. Let's dive into your multifamily evolution. What was your first property that you purchased? First multifamily property? Yeah, first big one. Probably 26 unit complex. I mean, it's not huge, but I would definitely recommend that people do that way, way sooner than I did. If I had my choice about it going back, I would almost start in that space or find a group that I could really add value to and try to become part of that team and learn that space. But that multifamily space, I would probably start, there's a number there that works, 24 units, 32 units, something like that. It's manageable. It's something that it doesn't kill you if there's a few bobbles in there. But the bigger, the better is always the case. Brian, did you raise capital for that deal? No. And you had never raised capital prior to this deal as well, right? We had done some syndications, friends and family type stuff, but never large capital raise stuff, no. Okay. So this 26 unit that had to have been run of the mill for you, you're used to managing properties. You're used to renovations. I'm assuming there was no surprises, nothing crazy on this deal. No, this was a very easy deal for us to take on. It's a super, super wide open value add play. Cost per door was super inexpensive. The rents were very, very low in a market that we know very well. Almost unheard of spreads. It was an off-market property brought to us by a wholesaler. We actually ended up partnering with them on this particular deal. They were going to try to take it down and we just kind of ended up being able to come in on that deal. So it's lucky for us in that sense, but this property has almost $500 rent spreads on it over the next 16, 18 months. The partnership with the wholesaler, is this just a joint venture? Correct. Okay. And do they bring capital to the table as well? Yes. And you're managing this property? Correct. Got it. What was your next large multifamily deal? We're working on some bigger multifamily deals that we're really excited about right now. I guess those are probably the most I'm talking about currently. We're working on about 450 units in the Kansas City, Missouri area. Super excited about those. Those are going to be some really, really nice acquisitions for us. And the Kansas City market is on fire, correct? Oh, the market is insane right now. 
I like to look at everything with a very conservative eye. And I see a lot of issues in some other markets. Prices have went up tremendously. Rents have seen tremendous growth for the last 24 months, and now they're kind of plateauing. But we're just really not seeing that in the KC market quite as bad. What's driving all that prosperity? Well, Midwest markets have been an undervalued market. I've been saying this for five or six years now, that Midwest markets are definitely undervalued, and it's just a matter of time. The amount of house that you can buy or rent in the Midwest versus some other places right now is just tremendous spreads on. I agree with you. I've been in the Midwest for about 25 years, and while we don't have that explosive growth, during downturns, we also don't have deep recessions. Sure. So it's a fairly steady market, and I agree with you. So are you going from 26 units to 450? Well, we had a pretty large portfolio, and then we downscaled that portfolio to open up for larger multifamilies. So that's kind of the transition space that we're in. And we've got some other smaller multifamily deals as well, but we're working on another 54-unit deal and some smaller deals as well. Okay, so this is a huge leap. It is for you. Assuming you're raising capital, are you also partnering with other operators on this deal? Yeah. So we've had a couple different conversations with different operators on this particular deal and are still open to GP side. Okay. Let's dive into this deal. How did you come about this deal? Initially, we weren't really looking in KC. So my main office is in Sedalia. It's right between KC and Springfield, Missouri, the two MSAs that are really doing well in the state. We're almost dead center between the two. And we were really focused in Springfield because I know that market very well. I'm originally from down in that area. And we had a couple deals that just fell apart at the end for us on there. And we were looking at KC heavily and then ended up talking to a broker. And they've got a bunch that they put on the books over the last few months. So the rest is history. It's just having good broker relationships, I guess. How did you do that? You're an out-of-state investor the broker doesn't know who you are. Did you put a lot of time in with this broker? I think the most important thing is a broker needs to know that you're going to be able to perform. And there's a lot of trust that goes into that broker getting you to the performance side because whenever a call for offers comes, they're going to present those offers. And it's not always necessarily the highest and best offer. It's highest and best for a reason because the highest offer doesn't always win. It's what's the best offer and the best chances of getting it to the finish line. Do you know what the asking price is on this property? It's actually four separate acquisitions. There's four different properties, two acquisitions, I guess is what it is. And one is 13 and a half million, a seven and a half million, nine and a half million, and then a 25 million. Okay. So just north of $50 million. Correct. Now, the broker had to have asked you for proof of funds or how are you going to pay for this? What was that conversation like? Yeah, obviously they asked for different things like that. So there's a lot of documentation that goes into that stuff. And typically that's part of your LOI. Maybe not the LOI, but as you get into best and final, they're going to ask you for some more things like that. What's the timeline looking like for this property? How long ago did you find out about this? Probably been working these for two-ish months, something like that. And you can't be the only one, right? Would you estimate a half a dozen, dozen other folks looking at this? Oh, at least, yeah. Because one of these assets is realistically what we would consider getting really, really close to institutional quality. 
And that's really important too on the multifamily side. If you're looking at an institutional quality asset or like a deep value ad, everybody's looking for that deep value ad right now. But if you can find something that's in the middle range of that, that says, okay, maybe this has got some value add, but it's not institutional quality. And then really knowing where you can play. I think that's super important to know which one of those categories you fit into the best because you can really spin your wheels. There's a lot of deals out there that you just spend years, honestly, analyzing deals and never get one done if you're not looking at the right things. Brian, what is considered institutional quality? Institutional quality is typically going to be getting over that 200 unit range class A assets, something that doesn't need a ton of CapEx. It's got really good historical financials. It's in an A plus location or A location or a location that is up and coming. There's several of those in KC area. So that's what we would consider institutional quality, something that's going to make it really easy for some of these very large funds to come in, swoop in, pick it up, put their management in place and just kind of let it ride. So fairly turnkey. Yeah, turnkey property. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. If you want to do bigger and better commercial real estate deals, take your real estate capital raising efforts to new heights with syndicationattorneys.com. With more than 20 years of real estate and investing experience, syndicationattorneys.com goes beyond just creating legal documents. They educate you on ethical and legal capital raising strategies. Plus, they offer a host of free resources, including their best-selling capital raising books, numerous articles, and their popular podcast, Raise Private Money Legally. At syndicationattorneys.com, they do more so you can do more, more deals, bigger deals, and better deals. So if you want attorneys with premier experience helping syndicators and fund managers raise capital, go to syndicationattorneys.com today to schedule an appointment and unlock your maximum capital raising potential today at syndicationattorneys.com. This offer is not available to Florida residents. Ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet for anyone to see? The answer is more than you think. Government records, social media posts, even your self-reported info, it's all being compiled by data brokers and sold to the highest bidders online. Anyone on the web can get your private details. This can lead to a higher risk of identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. I hate those spam calls. Well, I recently found a solution, and this is a new service called Delete Me. When I registered with Delete Me, they reviewed nearly 1,500 online listings and found more than 40 data brokers that had my personal info, my address, social security number, even info about my relatives. It's creepy stuff. Right at this moment, Delete Me is working to remove my information from those listings so I can take back control of my personal info and have a peace of mind I deserve and you deserve. Delete Me is on a mission to safeguard your privacy, and right now you can get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash Joe. Use promo code Joe. Only way to get your 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash Joe. Enter promo code Joe at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash Joe. Promo code Joe. Stay safe out there. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors 
targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. On this collective purchase, what's the play? Some of it's turnkey and is others value add? Yeah, there's one that's pretty much a management play. When we walked the property, for example, the grass was real tall. Both properties had a swimming pool. Swimming pools weren't operational or weren't in use at the time. And it was in the summer. (laughs) So definitely the time to have the pool up and running. It's a really solid asset and a really, really good MSA. And you look, whenever you drive by a property and the grass is 12, 14 inches tall, that's okay, this is probably mismanagement. And then a second one of these assets is a deep value add in a good area with already good in-place rents. So it's something that we can come in and turn away a lot of people due to the amount of CapEx that it needs. But as long as we can get the price to shake out correctly, which I think we're pretty close to, we're obviously really good at the value add side. You've been at this two months. I would imagine you've put in a tremendous number of hours underwriting so far. How much longer do you think you have until they're at best and final? Well, offers were already presented on these particular deals, so we should hear something this week, early next week on both of these. Do you think they will take the highest, best offer, or do you think they'll come back and want to renegotiate? Well, I think that depends on the walkthrough and the property. So one of these obviously is a better quality asset than the other. And initially we looked at one of these assets and we asked where the broker thought it was going to trade. And the trade was considerably higher than what we offered. And we actually made a soft offer via phone call. And there was a long pause, about 20 seconds almost. And I was like, did he hang up on me? And he says, well, with the amount of due diligence that you guys have put in, because we walked the units, we walked both properties, we put a drone in the air, flew the property. So we looked at it very closely and then put a CapEx plan together on it. He said, with the amount of due diligence that you guys have put together on this property, we really think that you guys still are going to be in that range. And we feel like you guys would get it across the finish line. So sometimes you underwrite and you spend a lot of time on these deals and you don't get them done, but that's what keeps us and our investors in a safe place is making sure that we do our job thoroughly. That's great. On that 20 second pause, do you think both of you knew the old adage that the first person to talk loses? Oh man, I don't know. Maybe so. Isn't that the rule? I, I, <laughs> like a staring contest. It is. I never really thought about it that way, but that's really good. We've got an inspirational wall here at our office, so I'll have to put that on the wall. What was it about your group and you that you think inspired so much confidence in the broker? Do you think it was the extensive due diligence or was it all the side conversations you've had? What's the advice you would give to others on how to build that same sense of credibility with brokers? I think it's very important to do your job and do your job well. If you're going to go walk properties, walk the property with intent. When we go out to walk a property, we had two GoPros that we were filming with. That way we could go back and look at stuff later. 
And then also we bring a drone on those so we can do a flyover. We really want to look at those roofs. A drone's way easier than a 40-foot ladder to climb up on these roofs. Because that CapEx side is the part that on one of these big properties, you can spend a lot of money on CapEx, especially roofs and stuff like that. This particular property had a bunch of flat roofing. And he actually said, the broker group was, well, that's the first time on a showing that I've ever seen anybody pull out a drone. Good. I'm with you. I'd rather fly a drone than get up on a ladder. (laughs) Yeah. Good for you. In terms of the loan, have you gotten preliminary lending estimates? Yes. How bad is that looking these days? Well, I think everybody is not liking the rates that we are seeing in the market today. But honestly, whenever I started investing, rates were where they are now. And they've been much higher historically. And throughout time, people have always invested in real estate. And I think as long as you can underwrite appropriately, you know, you may have to go through some more deals and you may have to have some broker conversations and stuff like that, but be willing to have those hard conversations. And it all comes back to underwriting. If rates go back down to where they were at historical lows in the recent past, that's great. If you've underwritten to today's rates and add some future stuff in there too, I think that's vitally important. And if rates go down, that's just kind of a cherry on top of the already good deal. Heading into September of 2023, what kind of loan terms are you seeing out there? We're mostly looking at Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac type mortgages. I haven't had an opportunity to look at rates today, but I had a conversation earlier. One of my partners had said that rates took a turn down, which is always good. So we're looking to rate lock on a deal either today or tomorrow. But I think they range wildly. So it depends on if you're going direct lender, if you've got a broker in that, that changes rates by a couple basis points. And then if you're Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, small balance, or if you're large balance loan, there's a lot of assumptions going on out there right now too, which is really advantageous if there's some time left on those. We looked at one the other day with a 3.13 current debt on it that's assumable which is super attractive right now. But from market rate, we're seeing anywhere from high fives, getting close to six, all the way up to seven, seven, seventeen in some cases. Yeah, so all over. The high fives seem appealing. Yeah. Will this be fixed debt for five years? Yeah, we would do fixed rate debt, typically a five-year to 10-year note, kind of depending on what the strategy was with the property, yeah. And when you do that, you can't do one-year interest only at a fixed rate as well, can you? There are some options out there. There's some five-year fixed with IO. Okay. Is that not attractive right now? Yeah, it definitely is. We obviously always like the IO if we can get IO on the deal. There's good and bad with those, so you just got to watch... Obviously, loans are not as easy as they were a year ago even, and you can't have it all. You're going to either pay a couple basis points more, maybe half a percent more or something like that, or maybe even a percent more on some of these if you want longer term IO. But some of those you have to really watch out for that prepayment penalty and some of the fees and so on the back end. Got it. And then what's the down payment percentage on this? Are they 35, 20? Yeah, right now, pretty much everything is shaken out of the 35. 
So you've got a significant raise on this. I mean, you're close to $20 million. Correct. Yeah. Our fund open right now is a $25 million raise. Okay. What are you doing to raise capital besides this podcast? Besides this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. We're doing a lot of podcasting. We're doing a lot of networking with past investors and then a lot of just general marketing kind of all over the place. I don't hear a lot of urgency in that plan. (laughs) This should be all hands on deck. It, it is. We need $25 million. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of all over the place. Are you downplaying it? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a sense of urgency around here for us to have put together capital. And capital is not as it was even six months ago. Capital is much easier. But the thing is, we're going to keep investing in real estate for the long haul. I'm a young guy. My team's pretty young. And we're going to be here for the next 20, 30, 40 years And we're going to be raising capital all the time, buying deals all the time. I hate talking about plan Bs, but if you and your team can't raise the entire $25 million on your own, what are your fallbacks that you have? So obviously we always have conversations with other groups and are always looking for other groups to partner with. I think collaboration is a currency, probably the biggest currency. And I've said this on other podcasts in the past. It's the biggest currency that we don't always look at. We don't always think about. If I've got $10 million in capital and we've got another group that comes in with $10 million in capital and neither one of us could raise enough money to do the deal that benefited either one of us or the investors. But if we can come together as two groups and split some of it, we get a deal done. It's better for everybody. So I'd rather have a piece of the pie than none of the pie. What's cheaper, finding another operator to partner with? or finding a capital raiser to partner with? Oh gosh, I guess that depends on what each side wants, right? Yeah, so the capital raisers are typically 30% of the GP they want allocated for the entire capital raise. So if they bring 50% of the needed capital, they would typically want 15% of the GP. Yeah, a capital raiser could possibly be a cheaper option. We've had people in the past too that are capital raisers They don't always meet up to what they say they can do as well. So for me, it's not necessarily about expense. It's more about can we all make money and is the person that we're partnering with a good fit? We really want a good fit for us, the other side, and any investors that are in the mix too. Hey, listen, I'm sharing your nervousness. I want to get this deal done with you. So once you get the best and final, how much time do you have till closing? On our LOI, we would typically do a 30-day and then with some extension periods built into there as well. Okay. So theoretically, you may have 60 to 90 days from today to raise all the capital that you need. Correct. Okay. You can get it done. I believe in you. Oh, yeah. 100%. Everything else you've done, well, this should be easy. I'm assuming you're going to self-manage this property. Yeah, we have an in-house property management company that I don't work a whole lot on that side. Me and my wife started that company several years ago, built processes around it, how we wanted properties to be managed. And I have a vice president of property management that takes care of most of that. But yeah, it would definitely be a self-managed deal. When we talk about selling to institutions, do they not typically want professional property managers in place that they can inherit? Yeah, most definitely. There probably are different styles of institutional investors out there, obviously. And and there, I would imagine that there are some that have in-house property management. 
Our property management company is a secondary company, probably just like any of these other institutional quality folks as well. Got it. And then the returns to your investors that you're raising capital from, what does that look like? So right now we're advertising a mid-teen, high-teen IRR, and then usually 6 to 8% cash on cash is kind of what we're advertising. Obviously, we're modeling much, much higher than that. We always want to under-advertise and over-deliver on that. And with the markets being shaky, how many years does this hold? All of our stuff is anticipated on a three, five, seven model is what I call it. I don't know if that's really a thing in the market. Here are other people talking about different year strategies. So our goal is that from year one to three, we're stabilizing the property, adding the value that needs to be added, and then looking for a refinance somewhere along that 24 to 36 month range. Year three to five is just hold and cherry on top where we're getting some good returns. And then year five to seven is prep for disposition. We're always anticipating disposition in year seven. All of our funds are structured on a 10-year horizon just to give us market time. Got it. Brian, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Oh, the best ever. My best real estate advice ever is to get started. What about going bigger faster? Find a mentor. Ah, I like that. Okay, good. Brian, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's go. All right. What's the best ever book you recently read? I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad a lot. Whenever I started my investment journey, I read 110 business books the first year and just ran through them as fast as I could. And there are several that I read on a yearly basis, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad is definitely one that I read at least a couple times a year. Good. Brian, what's the best ever way you like to give back? We've got some pretty exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. We love giving back to different charities and different organizations and stuff like that. So we've got a pretty exciting announcement coming up at an event we're doing on November 9th in Kansas City, Missouri. Stuff will come out for that pretty quickly, but I'll give you guys a little sneak peek. We're going to be announcing that we are actually going to be giving away a car each month to a student in need. Very cool. Is it a new car? New car, yes. Wow. How about that? Awesome. And Brian, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? I'm big on LinkedIn. Reach me on LinkedIn, Brian Dawson. And IngramCapital.fund is our website. Well, Brian, I got to thank you for your time today. You made me nervous, man. I'm rooting for you. I know the best ever listeners are rooting for you on getting this deal done. And if you would, do me a favor. Once you get this deal done, please come back and talk to us and give us some updates on this. But thank you again for your time. 100%. Thanks, Ash. Best ever listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.